Hello Radsters, you are listening to the Weekly Roundup with Alex and Dan. I've got my 90s hat on today. I'm Dan. And uh, yeah, I am full of nostalgia. I am Alex. And uh, yeah, welcome to another week. We've got a fantastic episode lined up for you today. What are we covering, Dan? 90s films and some of our favourites. Favourite 90s films. We've also got um, a couple of our listeners' recommendations. Yep, and we also got a question from How Not To Be An Idiot podcast. Yeah, Frankie. So we'll get to that towards the end of the show. Um, but yeah, we've got uh, some delights to, to entertain you during the next... It's probably going to be quite a long episode. Yeah, I reckon it probably will be. But it's going to be audio gold. Absolutely. So where do you want to start, Dan? So... My first choice was 1996's Independence Day. Ah, I've got this one too. This was the highest grossing film of 1996. Uh, did you know it accumulated 817 million? 0.4 million, Dan. 0.4 million. Makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I did. Uh, if any of our listeners are unfamiliar with this film, it starred Will Smith, Bill Pullman, the infamous Jeff Goldblum. Mary McDonnell, Margaret Collin, and Randy Quaid, just to mention a few. Yeah, there's quite a few. Now, um, this also, if we're talking about um, how well it's done, it also won an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. It was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Sound Mixing. Um, we, of course, won't talk about the uh, alleged sequel, because actually it's got nothing to do with the first one, in my opinion. It's dreadful. Which was in 2016, but we don't talk about that. No, because that appeared in our sequels that shouldn't have happened. Or mine list, anyway. Well, most definitely. Uh, well, I think I watched the first 15 minutes, got bored and turned it off, which says a lot, because, well, the original is one of my mm. favourites. I wasted good money to go see that at the cinema with, with Claire. We regretted it. Should have got your money back. But mm. um, what, what's this absolute blind of a classic about, Dan? Starts off in July 2nd, 1996, when enormous mothership UFO enters orbit of Earth. It deploys assault fortress sources, each 15 miles wide, and they take positions over some of Earth's major cities, including the White House. It does, with the mm. iconic scene of the White House blowing to smithereens. Yeah. <clears throat> Which I think they did, uh, they, they must have loaded it with um, mini explosives, mini controlled explosives. So we know we love controlled explosives here on the weekly roundup. That's part of our last, last episode. And um, and yeah, uh, they, they blow up the model, and that's how they got the shot, which ah. is the, the most iconic shot in the 90s uh, cinematic history. Definitely. Uh, David Levison, who is played by Jeff Goldblum, is an MIT-trained satellite technician, and he decodes a signal embedded within the global satellite transmissions, and he determines that the aliens are counting down to a coordinated attack. What a clever sausage. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. As always. Uh, Constance Spano, Levison's ex-wife, helps him and his father, Julius, who's played by Judd Hirsch, to gain access to the over-office to warn President Thomas J. Whitmore, who's played by Bill Pullman, that the aliens are hostile. Because, I mean, not all aliens can be nice, can they, Alex? No. <clears throat> and certainly not in, uh, in 90s movies they always seem to be is Mars Attacks a 90s film? I think it was released the same year yeah 96 so um, it just goes to show you if you, if you go by cinematic standards aliens are definitely not friendly Mars Attacks had 
had uh, Pierce Brosnan in it, didn't it? If I it recall. did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was um, what year was that? Ninety six, you say? Ninety six, I think. So that's hot on the heels of Goldeneye. Uh, Goldeneye was ninety five. So yeah, yeah, year after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I mean, I never watched Mars Attacks, but I know it was tongue in cheek. Um, hence why it's not part of this this lineup. But um, yeah, uh, Independence Day. I mean, I think I mentioned this in uh, I think probably an episode last year. I can't remember which one. And it's one of the the first films I've seen in the cinema. I was about 10 years old when my dad and my nan took me to see this. And you know what the rating was though, right? It was a 12. Yes, it was. Uh, they, uh, back then, listener, we never had 12A. It was no, just 12. They were, they were insistent that you had to, to prove your age, even with the parents there. So I think I said before, and apologies, listeners, but I, I went along. My sister was, I think she just turned 12 at the time, uh, smugly going around... Um, no doubt flashing a national insurance card or something back in the day and uh, I mean I'm quite a short person and I was even short to know as a child and the, the poor teenager behind the desk said, looked down and said mm, it doesn't look like 12 to my stepdad and my stepdad said are you are you saying that I'm a liar are you saying that my child is not 12 years old and you know he was playing the role of uh, being insulted and, and, and grossly upset to the point where the teenager just said you know what I'm not paying enough for this on you go and of course then I watched a film that was um, that was two years older than I was supposed to and it scared the shit out of me same same I remember my dad took me out to uh, get my hair cut and make me look a little bit more grown up oh and wow I, it was convoluted yeah, then I remember sort of trying to stand tall as high as I could did you 12 year olds plus have good posture probably not I mean they're sort of just entering teenhood and they're probably starting to slouch a little bit like Kevin the teenager yeah um, you thought yeah. too hard on this. You're lucky, you know, you weren't there, weren't found out. I made it in. Uh, no one questioned my dad or my nan. Just let me in. Uh-huh. The bit that scared the living daylights out of me was the guy that played Data in Star Trek. I remember him getting Brent Spiner. Yeah, and he got slammed against the window. That scared. Was it Data? I th- he was Data. He looks yeah. like Data. Yeah, he was okay, Data cool. in Star Trek: Next Generation. Uh. Uh, yeah, and that's the bit I was going to talk about. So a couple of my favourite scenes. That one scared the shit out of me because the the containment room, for want of a better term, mm. where they've got uh, one of the aliens that have been captured at an early kind of dogfight, I think. Hey, it's Will Smith, isn't it? Yeah. So Will Smith, one of my favourite scenes, actually. He's he's dogfighting. So he's part of the, uh, the Air Force. He's called out to shoot down some of these advanced scouts, I guess, uh, and ends up um, giving a, a rather warm welcome to an alien. <laughs> yeah, of course. And um, yeah, welcome to Earth. And he ends up taking this this alien. So I think it's Area Fifty One or, or some other Nevada base. And yeah, it's in this containment room. The room is is filled with what white cloud or gas, and you can't see anything. Suddenly, it comes thrashing out with the Brent Spiner being strangled effectively and communicating yeah. via this alien. It's it's quite scary for a ten year old. It's um, it's. Yeah, there's a good reason why they slap a, yeah. an age rating on that. One of the scenes I always recall from this as well is I think there were all the hippies and people like dancing on top of this building with like the the disc underneath them, and then it just starts yes. to open up and it just blasts the hell out of them, incinerates them. Yeah, goodbye, goodbye hippies. Um, but I also remember um, two other, I guess, most prominent scenes. 
Uh, one is the rousing speech by Bill Pullman as the president just before the, the last, um, I guess, battle for Earth, for want of a better term, uh, the, the last survivors of every Air Force and, and army in the world that haven't been decimated. He gives his long, grand speech to the world about you know how this is the final stand, etc. But it, it's a really, really good speech. Um, and, yeah, it's it's quite a rousing one. But the other one is when they're, they're, they're playing the good old Trojan horse moment where they've got the... Um, <clears throat> the the downed uh, Roswell ship they've retrofitted mm. and it's now back into the mothership that commands the whole shebang and um, they manage to release a nuke into the yeah. belly of the ship and the alien just looks out with absolute horror as it works out what this, this thing does and it's, it's such a great scene because it conveys just a great comedic moment and sheer terror on this alien's face which obviously is all CGI Yeah, and it's, it's brilliant I loved it I thought it was such a good uh, a good film the, the graphics, of course, were the CGI was, was phenomenal for the time. I think it still holds up now, actually, Does it? watching it back. Yeah. Okay. I haven't watched it for a while, but I, I picked up on it probably two or three years ago, just watching it on TV. Yeah. Still holds up, in my opinion. I seem to remember the, um, the storyline was pretty phenomenal and also the, the script work. So, for those reasons, that is why it's made, well, literally the top of my list, it's... Um, it's one of my favourites. Yeah, it was the first one I picked out as well. Ah, perfect. Well, um, how about we switch things up to a different kind of mood, Dan? Let's go to the Truman Show in 1998. Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey indeed, yeah. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening and good night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, directed by Peter Weir and produced by Scott Rudin. Um... It's all about, if you haven't listen, uh, seen it, listener, um, Truman Burbank is the unsuspecting star of, well, of his show in show, but he doesn't know it. It's a reality television programme, so this is before the likes of uh, Big Brother and God knows what getting the sea at the minute, Love Island. Um, so this is quite before his time, actually. And uh, it's broadcast live and around the clock worldwide. So he spent his entire life in the seaside fictional seaside town of Seahaven Island which in reality is a giant set near Hollywood which is equipped with state-of-the-art technology to simulate day and night weather conditions and thousands of cameras to watch him so literally he's been born into this world and being watched by people millions of people around mm. the world he doesn't know what reality is and everyone around him he plays his family which is quite sad actually if you think about it his family his friends randoms on the street they're all actors jeez <clears throat> I'd say it's all fictional. I don't think I ever really jumped onto the Truman Show bandwagon. It's amazing. I, I think I watched it once and I just I couldn't buy into it. But maybe if I revisit now in my 30s, I'd probably pre- appreciate it more. This is one of the most boldest films in cinema, in my opinion. Um, and it still has a lasting effect on my psyche. Um, and, yeah, effectively, um, Christoph, who is the show's creator and executive producer, seeks to capture Truman's real emotion and human behaviour. Uh, and give audience a relatable everyman. So they create certain scenes, they set up certain events in life to make him more of a character to people watching. Yeah. It's a bit boring watching you know, someone go about their normal life. Um, so his whole world has been choreographed. Anyway, as, as the film progresses, he realises things start to get a bit weird, people slip up, or he notices you know, they've got walkie-talkies, or um, a door isn't supposed to be open it is in the background he sees like a, a lighting technician or something and it all gets like what's going on yeah. there it's really, it's really quite a very very smart film 
Uh, anyway, long story cut short, he realises and he starts to break the barriers of reality for his own reality. Uh, everyone kind of freaks out because he's not running to a script. They are. This has never happened before. This is the most longest running reality show and he ends up just destroying it by just ignoring everything that anyone's ever saying and trying to find the exit. And it's it's really quite a powerful film. Uh, you know, it's not an action venture, uh, not an awful lot happens, but it's just all, I guess... The, the film is all about human emotion, about what we perceive as reality and mm. about relationships. And that sounds quite grand, but it's a really, really strong film. It's one of my favourites. And I mean, this stayed with me since, well, I guess I didn't see the cinema. It must have been when it was on tape or something. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't seen it, it's one of my most hugely recommended films. So, Dan, definitely go and watch it because it's brilliant. And you know, I'm not a massive Jim Carrey fan. I think he's slapstick type of comedy you've got to be in the mood for it definitely it's good but you've got to be in the mood for it this really does show another side I know he's got um, is it uh, something rather the spotless mind uh, his film 2000s film um, and that's essentially all about how I think he loses his memory or he wants to lose his memory because of traumatic kind of yeah. relationship I haven't seen that film but again shows that he's got another kind of serious side to him Truman Show shows it and it's really really good before I crack on to my next film, when I think of 90s films, I always think of VHS. Yes. Classic. You go into Blockbuster and rent it out your, the, the latest film out and, sorry, just getting a bit nostalgic. I'm Ooh. digressing. This happens a lot when we, uh, when we record. It does. Um, yeah, I mean, when I used to go and uh, visit my mum, um, she used to have an absolute you know, floor to ceiling, literally, of a couple of rows of, of tapes and about six wide. The tape's not a small thing. You're not talking about disc. It's it's quite a thick yeah. VHS tape. Tape, and then you've got the box that goes around it. It's these are these are big bastards that are going to be like stored in your home, and all that plastic. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy to think. You just you got to store these things, and you don't have to wind it up. It's not like a cassette tape, of course. If anyone doesn't know what VHS looks like, but um, these took up an awful lot of space in your home. Yeah, absolutely. Still got any VHSs lying around? Uh, no. I haven't my parents. Uh -oh. I've got Star Wars on VHS. Okay. The original trilogy. Really? Yeah. I'll, uh... I'll have to maybe dig <clears throat> them out. On the turn line, I might have the same. But in the, it wasn't... It was a remastered one. I think I, I must have got it in 2001. The remastered mm. original trilogy. Um, when George Lucas decided to dabble and try and make some more money out of a, an mm. old tired franchise. Yeah. Before the joke of 2001's uh, Phantom Menace. But anyway, we won't go there. Talk about favourites and not most hated. Um, so yeah, Truman Show. Go watch it, Dan. It's awesome. Next up for me is 1996's Twister. So ah, this yeah. was the second highest grossing film of 1996, where it raked in 494.4 million. Or just over. Now, wasn't Twister the start of a whole run of disaster movies? There was a couple that kind of followed in quick succession, wasn't there? Yeah, so... Um, Dante's Peak, wasn't there? Dante's Peak. 97, 98, I want to say. Yeah. Oh, that was with uh, Pierce Brosnan. It was around the same time as Volcano, which, funnily enough, comes as my list later. Okay. Uh, we had Deep Impact, which wasn't yes. far behind Armageddon, which again... 99? Yep, yeah, around then. Yeah. Armageddon will feature my lists a bit later, unless it comes in yours as well. Uh, no, no, no. It doesn't? No. Ooh. 
Okay, but yeah, as you'll probably find, all the films I'm going to be mentioning are disaster films. Okay. For the very reason I went to see them at the cinema and they all scared the shit out of me. Ah, okay. Yeah, well, Twister didn't. I was more fascinated by Twisters and... Yeah, Twister doesn't really... It's not really a horror, it's more of a suspense thriller, I guess. Yeah. So the screenplay is actually by Michael Crichton, who you'll remember as the writer of Jurassic Park. Yeah. And Anne-Marie Martin. Executive screen producers include Steven Spielberg. Interesting. Mm. Um, actors, we've got, and actresses, sorry, Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton, Jamie Gertz, and Carrie Elwes. I think I've said that right. Bill Paxton, this is absolutely awesome. Yeah. He's so agree. good. Perfect choice and well acted, actually. It's such a good. I think he, he, cro- he props up the film for me. Yeah, he, uh, he really is quite relatable. Yeah, absolutely. Such a good film. Like I, I still watch it now. My other half hates it. I think. I'll have to ask when I go home. Yeah. Uh, but it actually opens up on June 1969 when a young Joe Thornton and her family are awoken by an approaching F5 tornado in Oklahoma. The family seek refuge in their storm cellar, but the tornado rips the cellar door off, taking Joe's father to his death oh. whilst her mother holds her back. That's dark. Which actually sort of leads her to going to sort of investigating tornadoes mm. later on in life. So they create these things to go up into the tornado so they can sort of understand how tornadoes work. Yep. Storm chasers. They called the technology Dorothy. Oh, right. Did it, did it mean anything or was it just a, a nickname? I think it was just a nickname. Okay. But one of the um, scenes that really stands out for me is they all go to a um, like an outdoor cinema in, in the evening and there's a storm coming in. Oh, right. And you can see like the wind chimes at this old lady's house, like just starting to, starting to rattle. And then this tornado just comes out of nowhere. The cinema screen gets torn up, and they're trying to they're racing back to see if this old lady's all right where they've been staying. And the whole road's sort of been obliterated. Oh wow! She turns out to be okay, just a bit of claret pouring out of her head. Oh, okay. But yeah, that was, that was one of the standout scenes for me. Yeah. I think there's quite a few good um, chase scenes. Uh, I've done a couple of audio clips for the radio show that I do uh, down here on the South Coast. And um, there's a particularly good um, scene where they're, they're being chased and they go down a ditch or something in the truck. But yeah. the interesting enough, the, the bit that's, that's really good is that the... I mean, it's just wind. Think about it. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not downplaying how destructive a tornado is, but it is... It is wind, and you can't make that scary without adding some really interesting kind of uh, creative sound effects. So what they did was actually they took a couple of um, sound bites of lions growling. Oh, really? And so when you hear the wind and it, grrr. are you mad? I'll be mad later. Right now, I'm trying not to kill us. Funnel getting thicker. It's moving fast. Coming towards you, Joe. When it's whipping up uh, items and throwing it around and chasing cars, they use sounds of angry animals. It's it sounds really random, but it kind of works. But you have to make that sound aggressive, like I say, it is yeah. just wind. Yeah. But that's the great thing when you watch films like this; they've had to make that noise out of something. Because otherwise, it's just going to be a lot of whistling on a microphone, which is boring. I did um, sound and music production at university, and one of the things we did was foley work. 
And I remember one of the ways to make smashing glass was to pour dried rice from a bag onto a mirror and you get that smashing sound oh, effect. Right. Obviously you sort of have to sort of play with settings a little bit to yeah, yeah. make it sound a bit more like smashing glass, but yeah, it's possible. Hmm. You learn and you sing every day on this uh, on this podcast listen. Mm. Very good. But yeah, again, one of my other sort of favourite scenes was as you say when they're in the ditch and the tornado sort of goes over them and it sort of hovers there just for a little bit and they're looking up and they just see like blue sky with this destructive tornado oh wow so well, good well the eye storm yeah yeah great film go check it out if you haven't and if you don't like it you know, you know hit us up tell me let Dan know I'm, I'm not going to offer people up for a fight or try <clears> not to <throat> no you do that most weeks so we should yeah. probably give this one a break yeah definitely maybe maybe um, I'm going to go to the very end of the 90s. It's still in the 90s, not cheating. Uh, but it's a film that stars Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, Helena Bonham Carter, a very young Helena Bonham Carter, actually, Meatloaf, <clears throat> and Jared Leto. Fight Club? Fight Club, indeed, 1999. So, um, in my opinion, this has one of the best twists in modern uh, cinema history. And to this day, I don't think you can get as dark or as bold as this particular tale. So, the premise, if you haven't seen Fight Club, and where have you been? Um, The unnamed narrator is an automobile recall specialist who's unfulfilled by his job and possessions. Mm. So boring so far. He finds catharsis, though, by posing as a sufferer of testicular cancer and other afflictions in support groups, curing his insomnia. They've all got a bit of a troubled individual. Um, his bliss, though, is disturbed by another imposter, Marla Singer, played by uh, Bonham Carter. Uh, and the two agree split which groups they attend. So then he still gets some satisfaction and still mm. can, can still sleep. On a flight home for a business trip, the narrator meets soap salesman Tyler Durden, played by Pitt. And the narrator returns home to find that his apartment's been destroyed by an explosion. And deciding against asking Marla for help, who he's been uh, com- combating against for these strange um, self-help groups. He calls Tyler and he meets at a bar. And Tyler says that the narrator is beholden to consumerism. And they begin to have a fight. Oh. Uh, it goes on from there. The narrator moves into Tyler's home. Um, fights become more and more regular. They take the fight into an underground kind of setting underneath the bar. And they create the fight club. What happens in Fight Club stays in Fight Club. Indeed, unless you talk about the film, in which case it's all good. Um, and, um, I mean, a lot happens and characters die and the group strangely then end up getting some kind of um, uh, philosophy which is all about uh, mania and causing disruption to consumerism and capitalism. And it, uh, it transpires at the very end of the film. Spoiler alert, but I mean, it shouldn't be because it's been what? A good 20-odd <laughs> years. Do we need spoiler alerts in this? No, I don't think so. It's been too long. Um, he realises that he and Tyler are the same person. What? <laughs> have you, I mean, you've seen Fight Club, right? I have, a very long time ago. Yeah, so in essence, you've got Brad Pitt and you've got uh, Edward Norton, and they are essentially um, house buddies, and they bounce off each other there's lots of quips and toing and throwing throughout the film and they've got fantastic chemistry and um, the way in which the scenes are being filmed is such that you could see it as him talking to himself mm. 
doesn't have to, have, doesn't have to be anyone there because there's some as you go through the film you think well why is that character looking at him strangely and transpires he's not in a three-way conversation with Brad Pitt Edward Norton now as, as the narrator he's actually talking just to someone else and they're like who are you talking to and it all makes sense and all falls into place at this final five minutes of the, of the, of the film it's a fantastic scene anyway he shoots himself in the face to get rid of this this personality wow so he killed himself no he shoots his cheek through his cheek that's still going to hurt it's going to smart um but apparently uh, it's all a little bit too late and his alter ego um Durden ends up pressing the uh, ignition button on some bombs throughout the city and uh, Project Mayhem as it's then called ends up going to full effect and the city is engulfed in flames and he watches on with his new love interest Bonham Carter um, as the as the city burns mm. and it's a really strange film because um, you know it's it's dark it's, it's dark comedy you know you've got some very adult themes but it's also about you know the struggle of this this young man as he's finding himself in an unsatisfactory, I guess, life, and how he builds this persona and then realizes quite dramatically that it's actually himself that he's been speaking to, mm. and actually he's built this horror about him through this persona, and it's just it's mind blowing. Um, I couldn't quite grasp it when I was a wee nipper. I mean, what we would have been um, early teens, yeah. Yeah, it would have been, wouldn't we, 15, yeah. 14, 15? I would even say younger, but my memory's getting rusty now. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a fantastic concept, and uh, yeah, it's a great film. It's a mind-bender. So I know I've given it away if you haven't seen it, but do watch it. Fantastic performances by Norton. Bonham Carter, I mean, she plays the same bloody thing all the time, whatever film you see her in. She's a bit of a typecast, isn't she, really? 100%. But she can act, so I'm not taking anything away from her. But Brad Pitt, he's he's great. He's over the top. He's flamboyant, but he's um, he's a great character, and I really enjoy it, and I still do. So um, yeah, go and watch if you haven't. You'll hundred percent enjoy it. Come back and let us know how you get on. Mm. But yeah, that's Fight Club, um, and uh, yeah, it's from 1999. Nice. Mm. So I'm going into 1997 now with Volcano. Yes. Uh, stars Tommy Lee Jones and H- Hetch. Again, my notes are terrible. I put an Instagram post up this week of how scrappy my notes are. Dan, yes. do you need to borrow a tablet or do you want to invest in one? I should probably invest in one at some stage. Because um, I'm, I'm trying to read your notes and uh, that could be a shopping list for all I know. It this, probably is. This is, is, very, that your, is that your shopping list? Uh, it's got some chicken, a bit of salad, yeah. Could well be. Yeah. Uh, who else we got? We've got Gabby Hoffman, Don Cheadle, who we all know as uh, War Machine. War Machine, yeah, in later MCU life. And Keith David. So he's not really a star-studded one, so the one that really stands out is Tommy Lee Jones. Isn't he like a park ranger or something, this one? Yeah. So this is set in Los Angeles where an earthquake hits. Michael Rourke, who was played by Tommy Lee Jones, is the head of the city's Office of Emergency Management, and he insists coming back from vacation... To help out with the crisis, as you do. I'm not sure, would you know, Dan? If I'm on holiday, surely the whole point of getting away is not to be at work? Yeah. Oh, there's an earthquake. I need to go back. 
No, mate, just sit by the beach for a couple more days and help with the um, the fallout after. Get in the sea. Unless he's a better human Have being than you and I. Yeah, I think he probably would be. Mm. Uh, Emmett Reese, played by John, John, Don Cheadle, notes that good old John Earth... Cheadle <laughs> <laughs> notes that earthquake caused no major damage. Uh, later, seven utility workers die or they burn to death in a storm drain in MacArthur, MacArthur Park. Oh God! I remember that being quite terrifying. Again, this is one of those films that I uh, managed to get into the cinema with my friends, where we uh, all lied about our age. I can remember I made up a, a date of birth to, to make it out that I was 12. Still 11 years old. Do you um, also create an alias, a, fal- a false name? John like Smith. A, a, a McLovin. <laughs> a Mac- MacGuffin. MacGuffin. Yeah. Dan MacGuffin. Dan MacGuffin. I think that should be my new name. Why not? I'll introduce myself on the next episode. Steve polls, what, 150 quid? Just change it. Yeah, let's do it. Well, I think you, there's a time limit about when you can change it back. I think you've got to wait a while to kind of test out the name. So, oh Christ! Yeah, you've got to think about that one. I mean, it's going to be on my driver's license, my passport, uh, work record. Oh, hey guys, I'm McGuffin. McGuffin. Uh, so, Rourke tries to stop the subway lines that run parallel to where the deaths took place. NAMTA Chairman Stan Olber he opposes, and he feels that there is no threat. To, to the transport lines. Oh. Or so he believes. With disastrous effects, no doubt. Yeah. So, Rourke and his co-worker, Gator Harris. What a cool name. That is a cool name. Play, Shout out to Gator Harris. Played by Michael Rispoli. They venture down to the storm sewer in the park to investigate. And they're nearly burned alive. Mm. By some like poisonous, horrible, nasty gases. But they still manage to escape, where they find a crack in the concrete lining the f- the tunnels. Oh dear. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's pretty much a bit of a synopsis. I'm not going to ruin it for our listeners. But there was one moment that again, this horrified me. It scared me in the cinema. There's a what do they call it in America? It's a subway, isn't it? Do they call it a tube like we do? Uh, subway, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's trapped. And they're trying to get survivors off to, to escape. And the driver of this subway, he's got a casualty, he's unconscious. Oh, I remember this, yeah. Gets into the end, and this lava's just starting to creep out underneath it. And he tries to jump with the, the casualty, but he falls in, throwing the casualty Don't. away from, from danger. And he's just burning into this lava. It was terrifying when bit I watched of a, it. A Darth Vader moment in uh, Revenge of the Sith. I yeah, guess. absolutely. But he just sort of sinks into this gloop. Horrific. Mm. Uh, I haven't watched it for a while, actually. Probably because you're mentally scarred. Yeah, I watched this last time. I was just I just turned twenty one. I'll tell you the story. I remember. I can tell you why I remember this. I just had my twenty first birthday. Makes sense. I had the worst two day hangover of my life. Uh, my because I'm I'm a Christmas baby essentially. It was Christmas Eve and my parents wanted asked if I wanted to go out. I said no, I'm too ill. My stomach feels horrendous. Stayed at home and I watched Volcano. Wow. On tape? It was on TV. Ah. On TV. This is probably wow. back in the day when we had Sky and probably had the, the movie channels. 
before it was all mega expensive. You know, a disaster film is actually a, a hangover film. I think you know what I mean. Like, yeah, you, you don't have to take too much in. You kind of know that it's all going to be horrific. But the, I think the, the clincher for me is you're never going to feel as bad as a person who's being burned alive by molten gloop. Totally. So I guess that's perhaps why for me that that works. Mm. You take enjoyment or comfort from other people's demise. Yeah. Which totally. I'm, I'm not really painting a very good picture of ourselves on this this episode. <laughs> but, um, and no doubt these these comments will come back to haunt me in the future, at a, a future trial, in front of a grand jury. But anyway, um, yeah, that's yeah, it's, it's hangover films for sure. I might have to pick this one up again, see if I still appreciate it. Yeah, sober, sober, mm. possibly not on my deathbed with no. alcohol still in my belly, alcohol poisoning. Um, okay, cool. So um, I'm going to go to a non-disaster film now. We have talked about this one before, but I do want to give it some recognition because it's just so bloody good. Pulp Fiction. Oh, we love this film so much on the Weekly Roundup. 1994, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Shout out to Quentin Tarantino, who's also penning the next Star Trek film. Really? Yeah. He's been campaigning to do it for the last decade. And um, he's finally got his wish, so he's actually currently writing the script. So is this coming? Is this a uh, like a follow-on from the trilogy? Yeah, it's the Chris Pine um, timeline, for what of a better term. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but yeah, Pulp Fiction, John Travolta, Samuel Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Ving Rhames, Rosanna Arquette, Christopher Walken, Bruce Willis. I could go on. I won't. But this is star-studded. And it's so good. I don't know how much money they threw into this, but it's it was just absolutely phenomenal. But um, if you haven't seen it, or if you want to yeah, jog your memory, the story is structured around a number of sequences, seven to be exact. So the prologue, which is at the diner, where the two main characters, um, John Travolta and Samuel Jackson, are in, and then there's a hold-up. Yep. And... Um, it then goes into the prelude to Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife, which has some fantastic scenes, um, overdosing and the likes. You've then got um, uh, Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. You've then got the prelude to the gold watch. Then you've got the gold watch. Then you have the Bonnie situation. And then you end up with the epilogue and the diner. Um, now, some favourite scenes for me. There's a couple. Um... I think it's is most definitely, I guess, where John Travolta takes out Uma Thurman to a 1950s diner. That's the infamous dance, isn't it? It is. It's the dance. Ladies and gentlemen, now the moment you've all been waiting for, it's a world-famous Jackrabbit Slim's Twist Contest. Now this is where one lucky couple will win this handsome trophy that Marilyn here is holding. Now, who will be our first contestants? Right here. Want to dance? No, 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 no. I do believe Marcellus, my husband, your boss, told you to take me out and do whatever I wanted. Now I want to dance. I want to win. I want that trophy. So dance good. All right. I'm here for our first contestant. 
They go back. She believes that she's snorting cocaine. It's actually heroin. You don't do it. I've never taken drugs. Even I know not to do that. And she ODs. Mm. And he has to, I think it's um, adrenaline. He has to administer adrenaline shots straight to her heart. And it's it's really quite a brutal scene. But also quite um, kind of a dark comedy. Yeah. There's a big sigh of relief because she's not dead. Um, but it's just it's just horrific. But that's a... Contrary to what I just said, it's a really good scene. Then there's um, uh, a scene where Butch, which is played by uh, Bruce Willis, he ends up killing, sorry guys, John Travolta, um, because he returns back to his apartment to retrieve this favourite gold watch which his father gave him before he died in the boxing, a rigged boxing match. So that's at the beginning of Daredevil. Um, And um, yeah, he ends up going to the bathroom, hearing the bathroom toilet flush, and you have John Travolta sitting on the throne and he kills him whilst he's sat on, on the shitter. Savage. Which is pretty um, pretty harsh. One way to go, I guess. Indeed. Uh, you have the notorious scene in the cellar with the gimp. Oh, this is where... I can't... I, I remember the scene really standing out. Ving Rhames is effectively... Well, he's attacked in, in not a nice way. Mm-hmm. don't see it physically, but it's off screen. But you can kind of put two and two together. And um, he exacts some justified revenge, but in a very bloody way. And with Bruce a Willis samurai sword with a katana, yeah, and slices and dices. Um, but it's it's shocking. But he ultimately gets his his revenge in quite a satisfying way. Um, but the whole setup is just brutal, uh, and it has a satisfactory end, but unfortunately comes at quite a high cost. Mm. Um, you also have what's the the UK insurer who they use um, the the Winston Wolf the guy who is the hitman cleaner. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, Ch- is it yeah. Churchill? Well, sure. Uh, frantically typing away then Google down. So um yeah, there's a fantastic um, character whose sole job is to clean up dead bodies and hide the evidence from the police, and is effectively a cleaner and. Um, he, he directs Samuel Jackson and John Travolta as to how to dispose of, of this body and clean up a car. And it's just, it's so matter of fact. It's just a fantastic set of scenes. And this is interesting enough, also another scene where Quentin Tarantino uh, is at home. He's woken up, he's making a coffee and they've taken this, this bloodied car there. Because Tarantino always likes to feature in his own films. Not necessarily as a, as a key kind of role. Just a cameo. But that's a cameo, yeah. And he's in, in this particular scene, and he's he's quite funny. He's written some fantastic um, scenes for himself. And then, finally, um, you've got Full Circle, the diner. I love you, pumpkin. I love you, honey bunny. Everybody be cool, this is a robbery! Any of you fucking pricks move! And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you! at the very end yeah um, and there's the hold up and it's the, the film's so good because it's got these memorable moments it's got such a fantastic cast but it also deals with each kind of segment very very well I think they've got at least half an hour just focusing on one set of storyline but they all kind of cross over at certain points yeah but it's all out of order all out of sync so you have a particular scene where you've got uh, John Travolta his character and he's alive and he's talking to Samuel Jackson and then another follow-on segment, he's dead, he's killed. And then he's back to life again. And he's back to life again at the very end. 
and it's it's down to the the uh, the the, uh, the audience to piece together the actual story and timeline of events, and it's very very intelligent. And uh, for that reason, it's one of my all-time favourites. So yeah, well done, Quentin Tarantino. Nineteen ninety-four, Pulp Fiction. Uh, I could literally talk about it for hours. Pop um, culture classic, most definitely. So if you haven't seen it, um, please do go and watch it. It still holds up today. Um, I highly recommend it. Last up for me, uh, again, I saw this one in the cinema, and I was of age this time. Armageddon, oh, 1998. It is a very, very good film. I didn't choose it because it bums me out every time. Yeah, it's quite sad. Very, very sad. Science fiction disaster film directed by Michael Bay, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. You see, I love Jerry Bruckheimer films. Um, Enemy of the States. Which mm. we talked about before, all-time favourite films. Yeah. Um, uh, National Treasure, I think he did, Disney. Yeah. Uh, and loads of other ones. So this is the perfect marriage, because Michael Bay freaking loves an explosion. He really does. He does the, the terrible Transformer films, but the special effects and the stunt work is absolutely jaw-droppingly amazing. So you put these two guys together, and you know you've got a fantastic film. It's going to star Bruce Willis and also had Ben Affleck, Billy Bob Thornton, Liv Tyler, Owen Wilson, Will Patton, Peter Stormare. Stor- I think I said that right. I'm always having a problem with people's names on the uh, on the weekly roundup. William Fitchner, Michael Clark Duncan, Keith David and Steve Buscemi. Love Steve. Love Steve Buscemi. <clears throat> Wasn't he in some like Adam Sandler films back in the day as well? Yeah, he's always playing like, the weird, kind of gaunt, weedy character, isn't he? Yeah. Interestingly as well, I just found out screenplay... Sorry, Steve. There's some screenplay by J.J. Abrams. Huh. Which makes sense. A very young J.J. Yeah. There we go. We've learned something new this week, Weekly Roundup. Mm. Uh, the budget for this film was $140 million, and the box office... It made five hundred fifty-three point seven million. I was going to say back in the day, one hundred fifty million dollars. That's an awful lot of bank. Yeah, and you think how many stars are in that film as well? That's a lot for the nineties. So they mm. really went out. But I mean, yeah, they they uh, they certainly got a return back on their investment. It will come as no surprise about it. It was the highest-grossing film of nineteen ninety-eight worldwide. Yeah, and it's got one of the most memorable soundtracks done by Aerosmith. Mm. So, of course, is Liv Tyler's dad. Yeah. Let me get my head around that one. Yeah, I know. She's so much better looking than him. Yeah. Was he the one with the big tongue? Or was that a Gene Simmons? Gene Simmons. Yeah, my bad. Um, no, he's got the big hair. That's it. Same band, though, right? Dude looks like a lady. <laughs> Same band. Aerosmith song, no? Yeah, dude looks like a lady. And I'm sure he does. He does. Uh, so the, the synopsis for this one. Uh, a massive meteor shower destroys the orbiting space shuttle Atlantis before entering the atmosphere and bombarding New York City, the East Coast and Finland. Just just Finland? Yeah, just Finland. I mean, what about Iceland? Isn't Finland like one of, one of the smallest countries in the world? Possibly. That's really unfortunate. Yeah. Unlucky. Yeah. Uh, NASA discovers that the meteoroids are from a rogue asteroid with a Texas-sized surface 
when it passed through the asteroid belt and the asteroid will impact Earth in 18 days, impacting into the Pacific Ocean, causing an extinction level event that will wipe out most life on the planet. Same as when the six mile wide asteroid killed the dinosaurs, basically. Mm. Uh, NASA scientists led by Dan Treatman, played by Thornton, and with other space agencies, plan to drill a shaft into the asteroid of 800 feet and then plant a H-bomb device that will detonate and potentially blow it into two parts and make it move safely past Earth. I mean, that, that sounds like quite a sensible plan. Nothing can surely go wrong. No, of course. But this is a disaster film. Uh-huh. One of the things that always stands out for me as well is when they're drilling into it, something happens, doesn't it? Like, I think uh, the I think... drill bit breaks, essentially, or something. Yeah, and something because, probably goes wrong. Uh, a bit of science here, listener. Um, asteroids are usually super heavy, heavy metals. I'm not talking about head-rocking, head-banging. I'm talking about the um, the the periodic table type stuff. And, um, yeah, you've got to have some hardcore drilling to be able to, be able to get in. I mean, you've got, mm. you've got some rare metals in there to be able to survive in the, the outer space cold. Um, and vacuum but um, yeah it's it's no mean feat to be able to try and uh, do what they are suggesting if I recall something explodes and uh, two of them make a narrow escape so I haven't seen this film for a long time like I say it bums me out having to watch it yeah because I'd always try and avoid it if I can even though it's a good one got to be in the mood for these ones you do and I do recall Bruce Willis sacrificing himself at the end bloody hell Dan you just spoiled it Oh Christ! Should have put a spoiler out. But again, it's been uh, twenty years. So old. Uh, yeah, he does. He he snuffs it. Uh, a rather touching scene where he's saying goodbye to Liv Tyler, as he sits it out on the asteroid, and the rest mm. of his buddies are flying off into space. But Earth is saved, essentially. Spoiler. Hey, yeah. So uh, happy days. Bit of a classic, like I say. Great um, soundtrack. But that rounds up for my films. Uh, I have probably a couple more. That's fine. Let's delve. Let's delve. Let's take off our clothes and jump into the sea of delight. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> you keep clothes on if you want that. Um, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, 1991. Phenomenal film. Directed by James Cameron. I think it's the best Terminator film. And I'll tell you why. Robert Patrick is played or playing the T-1000. The Liquid Terminator. Which is a fantastic casting. His presence is scary enough, let alone... He doesn't have to say anything. He just needs to run at people at scary breakneck speed. With sharp, pointy arms and fingers. Um, That in itself is enough. Um, I mean, there's a couple of key scenes here. Uh, A truck chase scene down a highway in the storm duct. With the motorbike with John Connor, the yep. young John Connor teenager, um, that was one of the most, I think, expensive and difficult to choreograph scenes in the nineties. I remember seeing a couple of documentaries on it. The minigun scene, um, where they learn about the fates and the role of Skynet and surrounded by police cars, and so mm. Schwarzenegger um, brings out the T eight hundred. I think he is. He brings out the minigun, starts blitzing police cars. You've got the famous Roses box shotgun scene where he's got uh, a box of roses and uh, John Connor thinks that he's going to be killed by Schwarzenegger. He's not and behind the young boy is his T-1000. Yeah. And he drops the box of roses. Very artistic. They fall to the floor. And he's got like a Spaz 12 shotgun. 
and he's shooting chunks out of the, the Terminator. And at the final scene where the T-1000 finds its end in a smelting warehouse and uh, much like the poor train conductor in um, Volcano yeah. is melted. Yeah, bit of a theme here on uh, on this this uh, this week's show. I mean, some of our viewers did give some happier films to to look into. Perhaps they can be our yin to to our yang. Yeah, because we're going to bum you out. Um, Terminator Two was a box office office success, and two hundred four point eight. Don't forget the point eight million dollars in the United States and Canada alone, and then I guess with other markets, Europe and uh, Asia, got in five hundred nineteen million. Worldwide. Which must be a lot of money for 1991 films. For sure. Uh, is visual effects or breakthroughs in computer-generated imagery, including the first use of natural human motion for computer-generated character. Um, so this was Robert Patrick. Mm. I think it's where he's, I think in the PlayStation, he's going through this, the cell bars. That was really the tipping point yeah. in CGI films. Um, it's also a critical and commercial success and influenced popular culture. Uh, it received several accolades, including Academy Awards for Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Makeup, and Best Visual Effects. I totally agree that this is probably the best Terminator of the franchise. First one was quite horrifying. It was scary. I remember that scaring the oh, yeah. crap out of me. And this was more of a sort of heroic film, I guess. Yeah, because of course you've got um, now the established kind of anti-hero. Mm. Um, you kind of know what to expect and it's much the same again but I mean Robert Patrick is just phenomenal um, great casting great um, choreographed action scenes loved it one scene that horrifies me as well uh, I can't remember who whose house he was in but the old liquid terminator puts his pointy finger through someone's eye yes and there's you've got the milk carton <laughs> on the floor milk everywhere and like the blood starting to mix in did that happen, or am I just having a moment of the Mandela effect? Uh, I'm not too sure, mate. I don't, re- I don't remember that one, but that could be just a horrific dream that you just <laughs> just shared with people. Yep. Well, let's go away and, um, uh, and investigate that one. Rewatch it. Um, I've got another. Let's do it. Goodfellas. Gangster film. Yeah, 1990. Now I got this. I still have this actually. A double-sided DVD. Really? Mm, they're rare. Very. Um, so sure enough, I think the, the film's about three hours, 20 long. And literally halfway through the film, because you couldn't hold the, the full film date on one side of the image, you are then told... I think it's quite abrupt, actually, editing. It says, right, now turn over the disc. And you're like, oh. what? <laughs> Come again? Excuse me? And I was like, uh, fine. So I took it out, turned it over, pressed play, and sure enough, it started right where it left off. Really weird. But, I mean, the film's massively long. How do you know you got the right side? Good question. I think it was just must have been pure luck <laughs> that when I first put it in there, I got the right side, because that would have been... I mean, it must have been packaged correctly, you know, when you put it in, yeah, yeah. The, the, the stop on the clipper. Um, yeah. Crazy. Um, starring Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, who's the main character... Joe Pesci, Lorraine Bracco, and Paul Sorvino. Made on a budget of $25 million. It grossed just over that, uh, well, $46.8 million to double. Um, and the critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes calls it arguably the high point of Martin Scorsese's career. 
High praise. Mm. Got some Larry Seagulls outside. We do. They're rather, they're rather large ones as well. Shite um, hawks. Yeah. Sorry, listener. That's what you get for for being on the south coast. <laughs> um, the film was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director, with Pesci winning for Best Supporting Actor. The five won. Uh, the film won five awards for the British Academy of Film and Television Arts (SABAFTAs), including Best Film and Best Director. It follows the life and times of Henry Hill, who goes from a mob, mob gang member to being made, as, mm. it's, as the term is, where you're untouchable as a mob boss, to eventually indulging in the 1980s, truly, we're talking, you know, pink suits and mics, and becoming addicted to cocaine. Weren't those days in the 90s, eh? Ladies, and uh, convinced the FBI, FBI were listening to his calls and tracking his movements. Of course, they were. Uh, he realises that he's going to prison for countless ordered murders and drug dealing and ends up entering into witness protection. Now, the end title card state that as the film was released in 1990, Henry is still a protected witness and was arrested in 1987 in Seattle for narcotics conspiracy, receiving five years of probation. Uh, he's been clean since then, apparently. And if I remember correctly, this is based on a true story. Really? Mm. I've seen so many gangster films. Um, going back to the early noughties, me and my uh, my cousin used to, I used to stay at his house a lot and would watch various gangster films. I've seen so many now that they've all just sort of merged yeah. into one. One super gangster film. Yeah. But I think Goodfellas, for me, you follow the character from as a child on the streets. I think he's of New York. Um, could be Chicago, most likely, actually. Um, going through the ranks and you know earning his stripes as a mob a mobster all the way through to leading the gang and then betraying his friends and ultimately putting his family in peril uh, through his antics is 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 the rise and fall of a criminal and by the end of it you re- you're really hoping that he can actually pull it off yeah. of course he doesn't he, he fails miserably um, but it's it's such a good film really really long so you have got to stick it out for quite some time but um, that's why it's made my list because it's so so different and a double sided DVD Dan I mean they're, they're unheard of yeah pretty pretty special stuff do you reckon they'll be able to cram Avengers Endgame onto one disc one side probably I, mean, I suppose you probably could now couldn't you there's Back quite then. a few gigs on a, on a Blu-ray so oh definitely even with all these crammed extra scenes and deleted scenes and director's cuts, which would be about five hours long. So we're going over to the listener. Yes. Uh, first up, we've got Dave. Hi, Dave. So many great films, but it's Run, Forest, Run. So Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. Yeah. For me, Lieutenant Dan. Excellent acting by all the cast, and the soundtrack is my era. Because I believe it was set in the 60s, wasn't it? During 60s. the Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, just before... And then yeah, he I think he, he goes, goes to into. war, and then comes back. So it's um, yeah, it's fan- fantastic soundtrack. Really touching characters actually, very well thought mm. out, very well handled. Because um, he's quite a vulnerable character, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks is phenomenal. Definitely love Tom Hanks. Um, probably one of my favourite films actually would be Castaway. Yeah, at which I think he barely says anything. All film for the whole film, just stuck on an island with Wilson, which is a uh, volleyball. Yeah, mm. but yeah, fantastic film, Forrest Gump. Yeah, one of my favourites from the nineties. Again, got to be in the mood for it. it. Is it can bum you out 
quite quickly. I think. But I mean, it's so iconic. It really has shaped um, popular culture. Mm. Um, good choice. Uh, next up, we've got Joe, who came up with Hocus Pocus. Uh, oh, yeah. I vaguely remember the cast, but I've had to Google it anyway. Betty Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimi. I think I've said that right. Bunch of witches, is it? Yeah, a bunch witches of coven. witches. And this film comes from 1993, where it's a fantasy horror, but sadly no shooty shooty bang bang. No. But I think it's, um, again, it's a dark comedy. Mm. Very much pitched at, uh, at the teenage demographic. I quite loved it when I was a bit of a nipper watching these films. I don't think I've ever seen Hocus Pocus. I only know about it from the fringes of um, of, of popular culture. But yeah, uh, it's a good choice. I, I'm a big fan of it. I haven't watched it for, for several years now, I'm afraid. I grew out of that and I got into... Uh... Porn. Oh. <laughs> Talk about ruining my... Uh... <laughs> Surprise! Uh, I was gonna say Marvel films. Oh right, superhero. Hey. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> well, there goes my um, my secrets. Damn it, um, Chris. Thanks, <laughs> up we got Chris. Uh, Jurassic Park. One of your choices, Terminator Two. Yep. Saving Private Ryan. Mm. Classic. I've got a confession to make. Okay. All friends here on the weekly roundup. No judgment here. Mm-hmm. Porn films and, and things aside, down. <laughs> um, I've never seen Saving Private Ryan. Have you not? I've seen. I think the sniper scene, just because it's a meme. I think. Mm. Um, I've seen the D-Day landings because I think it's revered as one of the most accurate portrayals of um, the event. Very gory. And of course, down here on the south coast, uh, we have recently celebrated, if that's such a term. The seventy fifth anniversary. Yep, D Day seventy five of the D Day landings down here in Portsmouth, South Sea. Um, I've never seen the film. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say it because everyone who's seen it loves it and thinks it's fantastic. I just I never got round to it in the nineties, and since then I just haven't found the opportunity. It's just never come across. It's it's never been on TV or I've never had it on tape or, or DVD. So I really haven't really found the opportunity. Uh, next up we've got Stevie with Face Off which is one of your favourite films um, we, were, we were talking whilst we were trying to um, sit out the rain literally on the uh, on the sound effects and this is literally one of my most favourite films I don't know how in God's name I've missed this one but this one um, is a, a Nick Cage and Travolta film and yeah this is one of my all time favourites it's like top five so God knows how I missed this one. Uh, rather quite embarrassed, but uh, yeah, effectively a um, I think he's an FBI agent or the equivalent, you know, cop ends up getting his face transplanted on to his all-time vengeful nemesis who kills his family. Ouch! And so he's got to live the life of his nemesis, and his nemesis lives the safe and cushy life of his cop adversary. Yeah. So, um, yeah, great film. Uh, it's all about role reversal. Again, the families think things are up, and it's all about them trying to keep the facade, but also trying to get back to, or at least Nick Cage trying to get back to um, to his face. Uh, next up, we've got Chris, who chose Conair. Good, yeah, again, another Nick Cage. Nick Cage was... Absolutely storming the films in the nineties. He was like the golden boy of Hollywood back then. Yeah, he was. Um, 
is very good. He, uh, of course, I think he's had stints of is it tax evasion or something, and he's he's had some yeah. some troubles in recent times. He's done an awful lot of C and B, B movies. Um, he'll find his way back one day. He will. But um, yeah, he he had an amazing nineties. Uh, he chose Face Off again and Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels which I always recall had Vinnie Jones in it yeah was that 99? yeah it was quite late on mm. 98, 99 yeah uh, a UK gangster gangster flick and last up we've got Tom Sovereign who chose Pop Fiction good choice great choice and I mean this is a phenomenal comment from him awesome soundtrack genius direction great cast couldn't agree more mm. oh my god I don't know how I managed to miss what, this one off my list The Green Mile one of Stephen yeah. King's best books portrayed perfectly through some fantastic acting and I always remember the guy walking down the, the corridor going walking the mile walking the green mile walking the mile walking the mile walking the mile walking the mile it's, it's, it's such a powerful film and again I think it's quite a satisfying ending to um, you know, to the audience that have been invested in the film. It's it's fantastic. Mm. Uh, Goodfellas, my favourite gangster movie ever. Chemistry, storyline, cast, all solid. And then he's got, as good as it gets, Jack Nicholson puts in one of his most underrated performances. Still won him an Oscar. Mm. Uh, I've, I've heard of it for that reason, but I've never seen the film. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire Robin Williams' finest hour I couldn't agree more I always uh, love the moment where he his was his mask melted or he'd done something to it and he puts his face in the in the cream cake such, it's such a good film yeah yeah uh, The Mask pure nostalgia Jim Carrey able to channel every ounce of his insanity in the best possible way that's one way of rounding it up for mm. sure yeah 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 great synopsis I um I think it's one of the first tapes I got that my dad bought me actually. Really? Mm, I saw that one in the cinema. A uh, great sit cinema actually. It's fantastic. Yeah, Jim Carrey was absolutely on point. He was in his element in that film. Train spotting. I find it hard to watch a movie with heavy drink and drug sessions, which don't show you the gnarly aftermath. This film encapsulates all the nitty gritty underbelly of what is so often romanticised in Hollywood with a stellar soundtrack and a cast to boot. Fun fact, the cast thought Johnny Lee Miller was actually Scottish for a while as he didn't want to drop the accent as he hasn't perfected it and didn't want to lose it. The motherfucking 90s man. So many great movies. I could go on. I'm going to have to put an, uh, an E on to this one. Explicit. But um, mm. I think for that comment alone, um, I'm more than happy to do so. Absolutely. But that was it from our listeners. But we did get the question in from Frankie from How Not To Be An Idiot podcast. Yeah. So um, let's hear what Frankie is asking us this week. Hey, Alex and Dan. This is Frankie from the How Not To Be An Idiot podcast. Um, I know you're talking about 90s films and uh, pop culture this week. So I wanted to ask you what your favourite 90s horror film is. Firstly, before we uh, answer this question, oh, big fan of the How Not to Be an Idiot podcast. Yeah, actually, um, I only started listening to it because of you, Dan, and I think we both kind of admitted 
during last week's recording that um, we've both binge listened probably effectively the same episodes, haven't we? Yeah. I mean, the great thing about this podcast, you can literally pick up any episode. Hmm. It's, it's so wonderful. Um, I mean, I only picked up on them when I was in Cork Airport waiting to fly home. And I sort of follow anyone and anyone on the Instagram podcast podcast profile. And I must have followed them through the Britpod scene. And there, there was a post, and I think they were talking about complaints. And I was like, I need Great to... episode. It's a phenomenal so episode. Uh, love it. It's brilliant. And I've had to have a quick look, start looking through their episodes. I need to pick up I need to pick up on this. I need to listen to these episodes. And they're so good. Yeah. A lot of uh, a lot of love for those guys. So shout out to Frankie. Thank you for the question. And what a great one it is. Because actually I never really found my appreciation because I don't love horror films but I appreciate mm. good script writing for what it is but it really scares the shit out of you uh, and I'm not just talking about the cheap thrills you know, the, the scare jumps I'm talking really well thought out um, script writing and scene play there's only I think two films that you could probably say fit the bill for me Dan go on it's going to have to be seven Back in 1995. Oh, I did some research on this when I failed my first year in college for media studies. Oh, right. Mm. I remember watching. So I'm going back a while now. So this would have been around 2002, 2003. It terrified me. Well, the reason being is it's uh, about two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, who hunt a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins... As his motives, so he goes through obviously well, a minimum of seven um, murders, and he uses the seven deadly sins as I guess his hallmark. Mm. So you'll find someone who's eats himself to death in gluttony um, as an example, and the, yeah, the list goes on. And it's, it's very graphic, but it's very like noir, very dark, mm. um, very artistic, and uh, it's it uh, stars Morgan Freeman. As the uh, the veteran, Brad Pitt as the rookie, and Kevin Spacey uh, of a questionable stature these days um, as the, uh, the serial killer. But there's a fantastic end scene um, where effectively they hunt down the serial killer. And um, I won't spoil the twist if you haven't seen it because on this one you do need to see it. And the twist is everything. Mm. But it really just ask yourself what would you do in that situation and would you dig deep. Um, and it has a, a personal impact for Pitt's character. It's, it is the best horror film, probably up there of all time. But it's top for me of the nineties. But there is there is one other Dan. But I wonder when you're going to select it. Um, I'm unfortunately I don't really have a favourite nineties horror film favourite. I I've never really bought into horror films. They I've got an overreactive imagination. Uh, I can remember I was only a wee nipper. I was probably about eight or nine, so it was just after my brother was born. Um, I think it was something like The Candyman was on TV. Oh, right, yeah. And something had happened, and it terrified me. And I think I saw It as well, with the clown. Yeah, you shouldn't be watching these things when you're, like, ten. I'd probably appreciate horror films more now if I hadn't seen these things as a kid. Mm. Hate clowns. They freak me out as well. In fact, fun fact, um, when I went travelling into New Zealand... Uh, there was this maze, like you know the corn mazes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a horror night 
and you're sort of going around and all these like famous murderers are jumping out on you. I think there was like Freddy Krueger, there was Jason. Fred West. <laughs> is no. he? Is he? No. Oh no, Fred West. Famous he... UK serial killer. Anyways, poor porn sick joke, my bad. Oh no, he wasn't there. Um yeah. I remember this terrifying moment where three clowns with chainsaws jumped out on us. Mm. And it was like in this really weird part of the maze where every time you sort of try to get away, you were going around in a circle. Yeah. Yeah, horrifying. Mm. Yeah, sadly, Alex, I don't appreciate um, horror films. I mean, I was going to choose Tremors, but we we decided that was more of a comedy. Yeah. I mean, the one I was looking for, but I'm more than happy to be corrected, listener, or Frankie, um, is Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah, that was a classic. Psychological thriller stroke horror, depending on how far it damages your your psyche. Uh, Jodie Foster. Mm. Uh, Scott Glenn and Anthony Hopkins as the serial killer and it's all about um, Jodie Foster trying to understand um, Anthony Hopkins and, and what he's done and what he's going to do uh, but he's very much in control Yeah, and he's always three steps ahead of her and it's it's a fantastic film and actually I think all of the Silence of the Lambs kind of type films the, the trilogy prequel includes actually is um, is very very good but yeah, he's 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 absolutely thrilling as the behind the bars um, serial killer, and it it literally gives you goosebumps watching his performance. It's phenomenal. So um, yeah, it's it's a close second behind Seven. Seven has a shock factor. Sansa Lambs is more intelligent as a, a psychological thriller, mm. but. Um, it was a really good time in the 90s because actually I think they were starting to find themselves in terms of the tone and the artistry of, of that, that genre. And um, for those those two, Frankie, great question. Those are my two. Another one that stands out for me was Chucky, the weird creepy doll. But I found that that was that not a dark comedy as well. Yeah. Getting Larry again. They're getting Larry. He's massive. Look at him. It's like a dog. Oh, it's a flying dog. Sorry, listen, we're we're um we're we're being scoped out by a rather large seagull that's um mouthing off us. Is it me or is the the seagulls on the south coast getting bigger now? It's all that plastic and chips. Yeah, greedy bastards. But yeah, I mean, I can remember seeing these as a kid as well. Uh, my nan used to sort of rent out VHSs. He used to have this uh, guy called Steve who would drive around. Steve. He would drive around this van and. Dude, uh, come around like what video? What VHS do you want to rent out this week? Thank God you said that. I thought I was going to ask for for sweets or something. Nah, he was all right. He was a good egg. Good he Steve. Used, he used to let me get in his. That sounds really bad. <laughs> he used to let me get in his van and choose my uh, the video I was going to watch that week. You, you don't have to share this, Dan, if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It's not as dodgy as it sounds. Okay. Uh, people can start thinking different of me now after this episode. Jesus. It was a different time in the nineties. It's fine. Yeah. We. <laughs> No stranger danger. It was a simpler time then, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't know because because we weren't so aware of it or whether it just it was swept under the carpet. It's probably the latter, but mm. it just was a, a much more peaceful, seemingly peaceful and simpler time. Yeah. Take me back. Yeah. Take me back. But anyway. That was it. That was it. That rounds it up for this week. It does. Thank you so much for your uh, your comments and your suggestions and your input um, it's been an absolute joy to research and to um, 
to go down memory lane with this one. Mm. Um, so thank you to all that have written in, and thank you for um, How Not To Be An Idiot, Frankie, for your voice message. If you want to be like Frankie, Dan, how can our listeners get in contact with us? You can message us on Facebook at The Weekly Roundup with Alex and Dan. We're on Twitter at hello underscore TWRad. Yep. We're on Instagram on at hello.twrad. Yep. You can email us on hello.twrad at gmail.com. God, he's good, guys. Or we will be posting links where you can leave us a voice message like Frankie has. Yeah, on uh, on Anchor. Uh, Anchor are our podcast uh, provider of choice. They've recently been bought out by Spotify, so you'll find us on there as well. Um, so there's plenty of ways to get in contact. Uh, there's literally no excuse. And um, yeah, get in uh, get in contact to let us know your thoughts and opinions on any episode that you've heard uh, previously or, or on this particular one. And uh, we'll feature you in the in the next recordings. Yeah. So next episode we'll be talking about conspiracy theories. Now one of our listeners got us to research the Mandela effect, so we're going to do a completely separate episode on this one. So the Mandela effect is a memory that is recalled by not just one person but a group of people, but it didn't actually happen, or did it? But otherwise, if you want to get in touch about the Mandela effect, that is us for this week. It is. I've been Dan. I've been Alex. And we'll see you next time. Yo, yo, yo. Come on, Daniel. A young Joe Thornton. The unnamed narrator is an automobile automobile recall specialist who's... Un- I fucking screenshot it and it's cut all off. Bastards. Many apologies. <clears throat> How's your editing skills for this one? It'll take some time. I'm going to drop into some sound bites as well. Awesome. Right, let's quickly scroll through. I don't know why it cut off the, the comment when I screenshot it. It shouldn't have done. Shitty, shitty, bang, bang.